Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold podcast, the uh, James Madison Sports talk show from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin. I'm here with Noah Fleischman. We're the JMU beat writers at the DNR. Uh, here to talk a little more JMU sports as we kind of transition out of basketball season into the spring sports seasons, uh, fully making that transition now with uh, baseball and softball well underway. Um, yeah, I know you've been watching the baseball team pretty closely, Noah, and uh, surprised with the uh, start, especially offensively so far for that team? No, this is a top 20 offense in the country. They rank pretty much in the top 20 in every category from doubles to leading. They lead the country in doubles. They're top 20 in baseline rating. So it's definitely an interesting start. Definitely not anything that I really could have foreseen after their first three games at Florida State where they did not hit the ball well. Chase Lauder at eight strikeouts. He only has, I think, two since that series. And I mean, overall, that's really what's keeping this JMU team afloat is the offense. Pitching is there, but it sometimes can get a little shaky. But the offense putting up 28 runs in a game against VMI, 19 runs over the weekend. So, I mean, a lot of run support for their pitching staff and kind of letting the other guys get in. And it's not just their their top guys that are hitting well, but it's basically the whole lineup. And then they insert guys off the bench who come in and hit home runs too. So Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. Let's go back to Tallahassee for a second because, you know, that was not necessarily an indicator of what we we're going to see from this offense here over the last few weeks. Was that just a slow start to the season? Was that – Florida State's that good a combination of things like what what was going on there compared to what we've seen from them since yeah Florida State I'm pretty sure through three left-handed pitchers two of them are all preseason All-Americans so I mean they're really good pitching staff I mean JMU some of their top hitters struggle against lefties and so when you're you're going up against Parker Messick who's probably going to be a first-round pick next year and a couple other guys on their pitching staff, it was definitely probably a, an elite pitching staff that they haven't really seen, and she open against that, and it's kind of like, okay, here we go. But I think that when they've shown, when they play a kind of competition that's at their level or maybe a little bit under them, they've shown that they can they can produce, and against like Quinnipiac and VMI and things like that. Yeah, I mean, because like you said, they've you know brought some guys in off the bench that you know we expected big things from a lot of their veteran players, but you know you look at Chase DeLauder. After you know crashing into a wall and taking taking some hit hit by pitches and stuff, you know, has not been in the lineup here recently, and they haven't really stepped back as far as you know putting up runs. Uh, just how how deep is this lineup when you look at the guys being able to do things with their bats? I mean, they they've pretty much pulled almost every guy off the bench. They come in and, and perform. I mean, you've got Jason Schifoni, a backup catcher, Jensen Lapointe, the other catcher. So they have three catchers. With Travis Jacksonner kind of leading the way, but he's also been turned into a utility guy with a lot of these injuries piling up. I mean, he's played center field yesterday at Tennessee. He's played left field. So, I mean, their bench is actually really deep, and it's young, but it's deep at the same time. And I talked to the hitting coach, Alex Square, yesterday, and he said when they realized they weren't going to have Chase and Reeves Snyder during the Quinnipiac series, he was kind of concerned. And on Saturday, they won 6-4, came back in a tight game and won. So he was like, okay, that gave him confidence. And then they scored 11 runs in the seventh inning on that following Sunday. And he said that was the part where he's like, okay, like this team, he knew the talent was there, but he didn't know if the, if the younger guys could really perform. And they stepped up to the plate. And, and I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but they really they really played well there. Yeah, and we can talk about Tennessee a little bit, but the the, the timing of our recording right now is not, <laughs> it's not great uh, for yeah. that because, you know, they – had their first game uh, rain-delayed, but they're locked a 7-7 tie with Tennessee as we speak right now. By the time you listen to this, things may have changed, but pretty impressive performance down in Knoxville so far. I mean, at first, 
it was it got to seven to one. And it's like okay, here's the number ten Tennessee. The only loss they have is the number one Texas. I mean, it's, it's a really good SEC program. And then all of a sudden, JMU in the sixth and seventh inning last night really took off. Carson Bell, a guy who's not really hit as well as the rest of the lineup, he hits two home runs, a three-run homer and a two-run homer. And Travis Reeves signed in his first game back um, from missing the weekend series against Kripiak. He hits a home run, and all of a sudden they're tied at seven. And then you also have the bullpen come in and be able to do some things with two relievers. Um, you have Michael Stewart. He came in, shut out Tennessee in back-to-back innings, something that the JMU pitching staff struggled with. And then he loaded the bases, so they took him out, put in Eli Ottinger, came out, came out, got three straight outs, and really strained the bases loaded there. And that's what really gave JMU the momentum. And now, obviously, a rain delay not was going to help JMU. They had got to a slow start yesterday, so if they get to another slow start in this rain delay game, it's probably going to be over pretty quick. But at the same time, they and a 7-7 tie. A lot of people didn't think they'd probably be in a 7-7 tie without Chase Lauder in the lineup. Yeah, that's... um. That's what I'm saying. Is like it's pretty impressive that they put up those kind of offensive numbers. Whether they are able to win that game when they come back is, you know, it's probably unfortunate timing for the rain delay. We were just talking before we came to here to record. You know, if you had to take a guess on teams reaching deep into their pitching staff to find somebody to start this resumed game, Tennessee probably has the advantage there. Yeah. Just you know, being in the SEC, deep pitching, top ten ranked team. Um, so that's that's an unfortunate situation for JMU, and you know maybe maybe after we finish up here, they're going to go ahead and win this game, and you know we'll, we'll be looking at it differently. But but you know I think it really is like a pretty impressive showing, and I would say kind of shows progress from you know we just talked about when they started at Florida State. I would think these are comparable teams. You know, yeah, if just going say, by the rankings, I'd say they're comparable. I mean Tennessee's got a guy who's probably going to be a first round pick in the outfield, and he's zero for four with four strikeouts. So on the on the hitting side, but I mean pitching side, they had a Tennessee put in a, a reliever from Vanderbilt, who Vanderbilt one of the top teams in the country, and that's really what JMU got going. And, and so they're seeing better pitching than they have in the last couple of weeks, and, they, and they're actually putting the ball the ball the bat is on the ball now the same they've been doing against a team like VMI or Knipiak or someone that's not as good with not as high level of players. So it's definitely a step in the right direction. I mean JMU against Tennessee, two midweek games there. Then this weekend. That's up in the air with, I guess, weather in Tennessee is not great. They won the Moorhead State, and then they have Virginia Tech. So, I mean, they're playing these top teams pretty well. And I think that overall hitting, especially with, like, Trayvon Dabney in the leadoff spot, who has almost as as many walks as he does hits, um, really being able to get on base and then the rest of the lineup really behind him. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, kind of been the key is they've gotten guys on base and then they're then they're getting out the football helmet later on because, you know, they've gotten them home. You know, um, assume everybody listening to this probably has followed that uh, football helmet story with the JMU baseball team where that's kind of their their home run celebration, their, their version of the Miami turnover chain or something like that. Yeah. Like that's kind of kind of caught on and been a pretty big, uh, pretty fun thing for that team so far, even though it seems like a few of their opponents maybe didn't like it so much. Yeah, the football helmet did not travel to Florida State. It made its debut in their home opener against George Mason. It is on the road in Tennessee. So it is now making the road trips. It, yeah. It's something that, I mean, the JMU guys have really taken pride in and that I've talked to a couple of them and they've said that, you know, now they want to hit a home run even more. They're not trying to swing for the fence, but now when they hit the home run, they know that they're going to get tossed a football helmet and have a little fun in the dugout. So. Yeah, and we'll, we'll go back a little bit. They had the winning streak. They ended up losing one to Quinnipiac, but won that series. Yeah. These, in, we'll call them in-between games, between Florida State, before between Tennessee, how good are those teams? Like, I look at a program like VMI, and they've had some good wins so far this year. 
that's traditionally a pretty solid mid-major baseball program. JMU crushed them. Yeah. Like, you know, Richmond, I would expect to be fairly solid. JMU handled them. Like, how good are JMU's wins at this point, regardless of not knowing how they ended up finishing against Tennessee today? Yeah, no, I mean, VMI is definitely a game that when you walk into it, you're thinking, all right, it's not going to be a blowout and turn it 28-4. They put up 21 runs in the first three innings. It's like, okay, well, this game's over. But Richmond, they were tied. It was a close game until, like, the seventh inning where they put seven runs up. But Richmond's a very solid A-10 team. They played George Mason, who tends to be a pretty decent A-10 team as well. So they're handling these teams that are around their skill level maybe a little bit better, maybe not as good. And I think that that's a good sign for when they turn the page and go into CAA play in a couple weeks, but I think that these wins, the winning streak they went on, they dropped one. I think they were like winners of eight of nine um, heading into the Tennessee series, and I think that those gave them confidence, so now they can go into a team like this, Tennessee, who in some polls number three, others number ten. I think number ten is probably the better ranking for them, but now they have confidence going in there, and they think that they can compete. And, I mean, they, they liked what they did at Florida State, even though the score didn't result in it. They had some hard hits um, from, from a lot of younger guys, and I mean, now this is where maybe if they played Florida State at this point in the year, they may have put up a little bit better of a fight but like you're seeing now against Tennessee. But I definitely think that these in-between games, as you call them, are something that help build confidence, help show that they're hitting the ball really well, and now that's just kind of, I think it's like in basketball where you make a three-pointer and the rest will come. I think it's you hit a home run and the rest, the rest are coming. Yeah. Does the expectation for this program, this team, does it change at this point now that they've had this run of some success against the level of competition they're playing? And once again, you know, maybe we're looking at them completely different if they go ahead and sweep Tennessee later today. Yeah. Uh, you know, but um, I think I looked at it going in. There, there's been some struggles. Like obviously, JMU fans have not been happy with where the baseball program has been the last few years, and this was sort of like a make or break year for Eikenberry as a coach. I think everybody kind of recognized that coming in. To me, I was thinking, you know, a winning record, doing pretty well in the CAA is something to strive for. And anything better than that is just, you know, a great season. Mm-hmm. Does the expectation change or did I not have the expectations <laughs> right to begin with? Like, I mean, yeah. where, where do they stand now? Like looking at what's in front of them, obviously Northeastern's off to a pretty good start in CAA play. It's going to be a challenge there, but I mean, is C is like CA championship or bust at this point? What's what should we? What should I guess the demands be for this team at this point? I mean, I think the expectation right now. I think it changes if they win today against Tennessee. I think right now, like they're exceeding expectations by by hanging with Tennessee. I mean, people thought that it would turn into a Florida State game where they get blown out nine to two, ten to. I think that overall, though. When you look at this team, this team, I think it has a good season if it wins 32, 33 games. I think it has a great season if it gets above like 35, 36, 37 wins. And I think that if they get to that point, I think Eikenberry shouldn't have to worry about his, his job being in jeopardy if they get to thirty between 35 and 40 wins. Because when you're playing a 56-game schedule, if you can get 35 wins, it's a really good year. And I think that would put them toward the top in the CAA. Of course, Northeastern's the team to beat. They just swept number eight. NC State this past weekend. So, I mean, that's the team you want to beat. But obviously, with them competing with Tennessee, I think that's the biggest thing that stood out to me is they were down 7-1. to one, And a lot of teams could just hang their head and say, forget it. We're playing Tennessee. They're better than us. We're on the road. SEC school. And instead, they came out and 
hit really well. They had three hits in one inning, got a run, got a run back, and then they stranded the bases loaded a couple times. So they're getting base runners, and now they're finally in these last few innings that they've been playing with Tennessee. They've been able to get them home, and that's something that, again, talking with hitting coach Alex Gray, he's talking about they're getting the base runners on base, and he's happy with how they're doing it, and he's happy that most of the time, situationally, they're scoring that. But he said that was the one thing that the Eagle wasn't like, completely happy with was when they get a guy in third with less than two outs and he's stuck there on third, that's that's where they're, they're getting upset. But we've seen um, in the last few games they're getting the bases loaded most of the time and they're, they're scoring because, I mean, they have four grand slams this year, which already tied a single-season school record, and they're, they're 12 and a half games into the season. Yeah, you mentioned Northeastern and their sweep of NC State. Um, we were talking earlier about how baseball rankings can be a little strange. You know, Tennessee, there's so much variance in where they're ranked depending on the poll you're talking about. Um, but one thing I thought was interesting was Northeastern, they sweep NC State. It didn't really affect NC State too much in where they're ranked. So that leads me to believe that nationally speaking, with the people who really follow college baseball, Northeastern is a pretty respectable program. People you know, think Northeastern is pretty decent because nobody's, nobody's saying, like, what the heck happened to NC State getting swept by Northeastern really too much. So how good is the CAA that Jamie is going to be playing in? You know, obviously, you know, we could rehash this over and over again, but Jamie's not going to play in the CAA tournament. Yeah. Is there a possibility that the CAA is like a multi-bid type of conference if Northeastern is that good? If, you know, UNCW is a program that's traditionally pretty solid. I don't, they're not off to the greatest start right now, but, um, is the CAA a decent enough baseball conference right now for JMU to do something without having that NCAA, without having that CAA tournament in front of them? I think if you see Northeastern continue to play the way they are, and they'll probably end up getting ranked at some point in the year. And if you see JMU kind of continue to, to play in this this way and kind of win games they probably aren't shouldn't win, like Tennessee is a great example of that. But I think CAA baseball falls into the weird range of if a team gets hot at the right time, you could see a multi-bid league, but you could also see a team with their resume getting built and then all of a sudden fizzle out. And I mean, so overall, Northeastern's definitely like the favorite. I'm pretty sure they were the preseason number one. They have the preseason co-player of the year on their team. And I think they'll probably win the CAA tournament. And that just leaves the question of, is there anyone outside of JMU that could build a, a resume? Right now, JMU's the only other team in the CAA, in the CAA that's playing well against these top teams and I mean that's something that you like to see and they, JMU's got other games against Power 5 schools coming up they've got Virginia Tech they can build a resume against they've got Maryland uh, home and home with them so I mean they've definitely got the the, the schedule laid in front of them to kind of put themselves in the mix in this little tournament it's just a matter of is there other conferences out there that are the same level as the CAA like you look at the Atlantic 10 or something like that like it would, I mean, ten these conferences tend to only get one bid in baseball, because you see other conferences like SEC and things they get half their conference in the tournament. So, I think they're going to have to win some of these big games, and for Jamie to get in, especially starting with Tennessee, it would be a great win to put on the resume. But also, when you play Virginia Tech and Maryland, Maryland also ranked right now, so they've got the opportunities. It's just a matter of can they can they cash in. And, you, and we're talking about it, you know, from a CAA perspective right now. And we're talking about it for what this means for Eikenberry Mm -hmm. and his status with the program and the program in general. But let's look at this 
as JMU what they're doing this year ahead of a move to the Sun Belt because I think you know we all kind of recognize the Sun Belt's a step up in baseball. You got you know programs that have been really good. And Coastal Carolina has got a fairly recent national championship <laughs> under their belt. Yeah. Um, the Sun Belt's going to get tougher. So how important is it for JMU to begin to look like a competitive program as they make it, this move? You know where you know you get into the Sun Belt footprint that overlaps the SEC. Where down south, college baseball is a big deal like yeah i mean they're playing in front of five thousand fans every night there yeah yeah so like you know just how important is it for jmu to continue to play at the level they are right now and beat teams that they should be beating before they make this move and not just kind of be starting from scratch as they move into a more competitive conference i think it helps but also at the same time may not hurt like i don't know because a lot of their roster is virginia based and that's Mm -hmm. something that if you look at a lot of college baseball teams, a lot of their roster comes from what's around them. And Virginia being a yeah. pretty solid baseball state in the whole. So, I mean, it will help moving to that next high level, but I don't think it's going to make the, as much of an impact as it will on the football side where you're, you're moving to the FBS and you'll be able to get dudes that you could pull from a getting yeah. a low Power 5 offer. But I think that it's definitely not – it doesn't hurt. I mean, it helps them get out of the CAA in which they go into this conference, the Sun Belt. I mean, you've got Louisiana. They're pretty good. And a few others, Coastal Carolina, as you talked about. So I definitely think it's a plus, but at the same time, it's not going to make that much of an impact like it will in, in football and other sports. Yeah, I find it interesting with baseball compared to the other sports because almost every other sport at JMU, they're making this move pretty comfortable mm-hmm. with where they are as a program. You know, the basketball team, you know, struggled down the stretch with injuries and stuff, men and women, but they're comfortable with the level they recruit and the teams that they can beat as they move into the Sun Belt. The football program, obviously is big on this move and they've been recruiting at that level for a while you know you go down the line softball lacrosse is moving to a different conference but it's a a similar situation baseball's the one where i wonder like yeah they need to show something that they're ready for this move compared to like some of the other teams on campus and that that, that's why i'm kind of interested to see like how they can do this season even even beyond like just what they end up accomplishing whether they get to a postseason or anything like that, whether they reach a certain win plateau, 30, 35 wins, just to see them being a team that looks like it can be competitive in the new conference, I think is something that's like interesting to watch with them. No, yeah, and I mean, we'll definitely see that as they play this non-conference slate um, that they have in front of them because it's definitely going to be a somewhat comparable to the Sunbelt level. I mean, they're not playing any Sunbelt teams. Also, also, when you go to the Sunbelt, you're going to have ODU there, and ODU's one of the top baseball programs in the state so i mean Mm -hmm. that's a definitely definite another thing that could help attract recruits you're going to be playing playing odu every year who's you know ranked right now and and justin verlander and people like that coming out of there so definitely this season could be a positive sign for jmu kind of as they the baseball team starts to get its lugs under them and starts to go and plus a lot of these guys will be back next year the only person i really know that probably will be gone like that's got the opportunity to to stay is probably Chase. I think most of the guys right now, I mean, they could change. They could get drafted if they keep playing the way they are, but it's an older team with experience and with eligibility remaining, and I think that's exactly what Jamie likes to see. I mean, Alex Guerra said if he could, he if he wants to keep the team as old as he can, because when you're a hitter, the older you are, the more experienced, the better you tend to be, so it's a positive sign, and I mean, if they can keep some of these redshirt juniors around for another year, then that'll definitely help out. Yeah. Mostly comments, mostly positive comments here about baseball. Somewhat surprisingly, it's not quite as positive with the softball program right now. 
Um, not necessarily a surprise that they're not winning some of the games they haven't been winning, but um, some of them have been maybe bigger blowouts than anticipated. Um, to me, the biggest surprise when you look at the softball team, four and nine right now before they have their home opener on Thursday at Veterans Memorial Park, um, it's just that they struggle with the pitching. I That was where I thought they would be particularly strong, especially you know non-conference games against you know, against non-top 25 type opponents and they've you know even struggled a little bit in those games I, i've been a little bit surprised by that start from the softball side not so much the record itself although i figured they'd win a couple more of those games but um just the struggle with the pitching has been interesting to see so far yeah what do you think i guess i mean they have norfolk state tomorrow who's probably not a it's top softball power are they this weekend i mean they have a big tournament here with arkansas and maryland the town. yeah i mean it it doesn't get easier this weekend <laughs> obviously arkansas especially is going to be you know a tough one um they will be playing at home for the first time which you know maybe they can get a little bit of a boost from that but um you know i think really just like the key right now is you know we wondered about they lost basically their entire lineup like all that offense that was just crushing the ball last season and even, you know, seasons before then, um, record setting players like, you know, Kate Gordon gone. So we, we knew there was going to be a little bit of a step back there, but offensively they're not doing that bad. You know, Hannah Shifflett's off to a great start. Um, Emily Phillips is also hitting the ball pretty well. They're scoring enough runs to win. I feel like on a lot of days, if they were getting the kind of pitching, not just the kind of pitching they've gotten in the past, because, you know, we've talked about them being, you know, the pitcher's university to some degree. It's just been like a series of All-American, you know, National Player of the Year type players in the circle for them recently. I, I imagine there's going to be some sort of step back there from what, you know, Ozzie Alexander was doing last year. But... Alyssa Humphrey has, you know, frankly, just kind of struggled so far this year after, you know, really dominating against lesser competition last year. But, like, you know, even against similar competition so far this year, she's struggled a little bit, especially to just keep it keep it going through seven innings, which I find has been a little bit of a surprise given how dominant she was last year and how, you know, well she's done in international competition and things, you know, throughout her career. Yeah, I mean... When you look at the, the summer she had, and with Team USA kind of being being one of the top arms in the world now, you kind of expect her to come out and and dominate the teams they're playing, especially at the college level. If you can dominate the international level, and I mean, she's not quite there. But as we talked about before, Shane, is it maybe just her arm is tired from from pitching kind of through the summer following with her? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that'll be something I'll be kind of interested to ask about um, when they're back in town here this weekend, and I'll be, be out there thursday tomorrow for you know the home opener with norfolk state it, that is something i'm interested to see because you know she did pitch you know all through the winter basically going down uh with the under 18 team usa to the world world championships where they won a gold medal and she pitched two perfect games you know during that tournament so we're not too far removed from her throwing the ball really well and the start of the season, frankly, has just been like a struggle. You know, she's got a 4.12 ERA right now. She's given up home runs, um, and she's given up nine home runs already this year, uh, which, 
you know, I think she only gave up a couple all of last year. And like we said, they've been playing against some really good teams. Um, you know, but you look at it, she she was kind of rolling through five innings against a good top twenty five Notre Dame team. It looked like JMU was in position to win that game, and then um, you know Notre Dame just put up a bunch of runs there late in the game, kind of you know made it look worse than it was. But you know, yeah, really, it'll be interesting to talk to Lauren Laporte tomorrow after that game, just kind of see where she feels like they are right now because I haven't had an opportunity to do that yet, and. You know, she definitely expected there to be some sort of step back, there to be struggles. I don't know if she expected to have a winning record at this point, but I think she probably expected to be a little bit more competitive, uh, especially when it comes to the pitching circle. Um, Alexis Bermuda has also pitched a lot for JMU. Um, she's doing okay. She's pitched against some good teams. 3.8 ERA. It's not great, but given the level of competition, it's probably about what you expect from her as what we would consider their number two type pitcher um, in seven appearances so far, but it's just, you know, they're, frankly, it's not, they're not getting it done in the circle the way they have for so many years now. And it's, it's a little bit of a surprise that that's where the struggles are coming from. Yeah. As you talked about, I mean, JMU's had the success in the pitching department for a while now. And finally this, this season kind of doesn't look like that, but maybe she turns it around coming home and, and looking forward to that. But Shane, where do you think they fall? Like, obviously, can't play in the CA tournament, but when they get into conference play and kind of get away from playing a top 25 team every weekend? Yeah, I mean, you just kind of have to go back and look at. You would think Alyssa's going to get it together at some point, and nobody in the CA could hit her last year. And the CA might be a little bit better than it has been. Um, you know, you look at like an Elon or somebody as a team that might challenge JMU. But if she pitches the way she did last year, even remotely close to the way she did last year, they're going to score enough runs to beat CAA teams. I, I really feel like. But right now, you know, she just doesn't have it. And, you know, I, you wonder if there could be injuries that we don't know about, things like that. You know, they usually play that pretty close to the vest. You know, we didn't know. You know, last year, it wasn't known until really after their run was complete that there was times where they didn't know if they were going to get Odyssey back for the season last year. And she, she missed like a good chunk of the first half of the season. Um, and, you know, that completely changes the outlook of the entire program, you know, right now, if uh, that hadn't happened. So, you know, maybe they're dealing with a little bit more than we realize at this point. Um, but should be interesting, should be fun to get them back in town because, you know, really they haven't had. Um, they haven't played a home game yet, and you know it should be a great crowd this weekend. I would think people still, you know, in love with this team, mm-hmm. in love with this program, and they haven't had a chance to really go out there and celebrate anything since they came back from Oklahoma City last summer. Um, so it'll be fun. It'll be it'll be uh, you know pretty good atmosphere. I think it's a you know weekday afternoon game, which will be a little bit tough as far as the people getting out there, but they're going to unveil the college world series logo on the outfield fence and you know really kind of have a celebration for that team um you know maybe it's something that can kind of you know get them going is getting back into this getting out of hotel rooms and long bus rides and you know kind of just enjoying being at home for a little while yeah i saw they also have the uh trophy there from national tournament so kind of kind of a little cool yeah yeah it should be like 
it should be a fun weekend because, like I said, I don't know how many people are going to get out there for a Thursday afternoon weekday game against you know a Norfolk State type of team. But you know, I think um, I think there'll be some people there. I think they can expect big crowds, and then it'll be interesting. So I think it should be like a fun weekend with you know Maryland, Arkansas among the teams coming in. Obviously, going to be challenging, but it should be I think a pretty solid atmosphere. You've been out to the baseball games. What was the crowd been like so far? I mean, weather's kind of hit or miss at this time of year. Has people love baseball though around this area? You know, in the valley, um, you know, goes all summer with people. You know, out to the valley league games and rock RCBL games and everything. What, what's the baseball atmosphere been like when they've played at home so far? The atmosphere has been good. They've been drawing about between four and six hundred fans a game, so not not a terrible. They've in the home opener they had out in the left field they had a bunch of college students sitting out there having a good time so i mean there the atmosphere is there especially when the weather is nice i mean the, i you notice like when over the weekend they had their most highly attended game on that sunday um just because it's a beautiful day outside i mean the better weather the more people are going to show up especially with the games being free so i definitely think we'll probably see the same thing as softball probably even more people showing up just for for what this this team had last year but if you got 600 people showing up for baseball who didn't have the highest expectations, obviously Chase Lauder probably helps bring some people to the this crowd. But I guess JMU as a whole, when you look at the softball, like, that probably will bring people out just because of what they did last year. Yeah, I, I'll be interested to see you know how the crowds grow for both teams as the season goes along. Um, if you know softball team, I would imagine I still have the expectations at some point they turn. <laughs> excuse me, turn it turn it around start. When is All right, get back into this. Sorry about the <laughs> about my uh, choking on my own tongue there for a minute, but yeah, get back into it. I would think that as you <clears throat> look down the road, as I expect as a softball team to, you know, start winning more games at some point as their schedule gets a little bit easier, and you know, baseball is going to get warmer. People are going to have a little more time on their hands. You know, people have been, you know, invested in other sports and other things going on here, you know, recently. I think we'll probably see some pretty good crowds at both, you know, ballparks as the season goes along, as people get more into what's happening there. No, especially if both teams start getting rolling. I mean, JMU baseball has been rolling. Softball can kind of start getting it going. And I think you'll see more turnout. I mean, as you said, the Valley is definitely a baseball, baseball and softball kind of happy happy place and it's definitely something that if these teams can get moving in the right direction again and then start winning more and more games and have the opportunity to take down some of these top teams then for sure i think i think we'll see a lot more people but shane today something came out right before we uh came on the podcast you know the women's basketball caa uh or teams came out what do you what was your impression of the first second third team selections yeah we can wrap up the uh the uh basketball season a little bit here yeah the women's all CAA teams came out, and uh, Kiki Jefferson made it for the JMU women, but as a second teamer, which I found a little bit surprising when you go back and look at it, because you know obviously JMU as a team wasn't what they typically have been. Obviously, it's the first time in over a decade they finished worse than second in the league, but they were fourth in the CAA. They, they were. It's not like we're talking about a team that finished in the bottom and. You know, maybe you don't reward their players for that. But, you know, you look at Kiki's numbers, 
18, almost 19 points a game, third leading scorer in a conference, eighth leading rebounder in a conference, top 15 in assists and steals, block shots. You know, it's hard to say any of the ones that made it onto the first team, which was Ty Battle, Jasmine Dickey from Delaware, Kendall Kearns from Northeastern, Leah Nelson from Towson, Kishana Washington from Drexel. Okay, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not exactly sure who you knock off of there. Um, I'd probably say Aaliyah Nelson, like just, you know, overall um, what they've done. But, yeah, it, it, it's <laughs> – we, we seem to have this conversation over and over again when it comes to the all-CAA teams about snubs from JMU, which yeah. goes back – and this goes back years. It goes back even before um, all the latest um, kerfuffle with the conference. So it, it's – Surprising and not surprising at the same time to see uh, Kiki on the second team when you know she clearly put up first team numbers. Um, be interesting. This one's voted on by the coaches and the SIDs as opposed to the men's strictly. The men's is coaches, SIDs, and also the media gets a vote. So I had to vote for the men's team, and I you know posted my ballot and everything. Um, we can go back to the men's side too. Look at that. You know, Votto Morse made second team as a third leading scorer in the conference. And I had him as my fifth guy on there as my, you know, my last guy on the first team spot, but I saw some ballots that left him completely off. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how much stock you can take into that. And, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to know like how the coaches voted that will never get out. But, yeah. you know, you can go back to a couple of years ago when everyone expected, uh, expected um you know Kamaya Smalls to be the player of the year and then it comes out and she was not the player of the year and it was just absolutely shocking so you know to see this kind of happen again with JMU when it's strictly the coaches voting it's not you know terribly shocking on the women's basketball side uh that there's been a little bit of a pattern (laughs) but uh yeah to not be first team for Kiki is you know a little bit of a surprise and then you know she's the only JMU player who made it even though you look at uh, i don't know if like not having any other jamie players on there is necessarily um that's necessarily a big surprise but you look at uh the rebounding numbers from a jalen caradine were pretty insane uh she seems like she was probably at least borderline uh on there but not not super surprised that she didn't make it yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen this, this this show before, especially this year. I mean, when you look at the, the preseason selection for even baseball, and you had a guy who, in most most uh, baseball publications, have as one of the top collegiate bats, period, wasn't even named player of the year, but barely made the first team for the CAA. So, I mean, so when you see like that, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big trend. Yeah, I mean, I think it seems obviously at this point that there are people who are leaving JMU completely off their ballots I would think, you know, the reasoning would have to be that they're leaving the conference, um, which at this point, I don't think anybody at JMU cares that much yeah. about it. At this point, they're just ready to be done with the CAA altogether. But it it, it is interesting to see it, you know, continue to happen. And, um, yeah, I, I was when I got the email about the all all conference team and I start just scrolling down and I keep have to keep scrolling to see Kiki's name. It was, it was surprising and not surprising at the same time, but you know, something that the JMU folks, um, 
over, you know, actual employees and players and everything else are used to at this point. So I think they're, they're probably fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, unless Noah's got anything else, that's probably about time to wrap this one up. Uh, keep it a little bit shorter today as we you know, transition into the spring sports and, you know, with the home opener for softball coming up and seeing what happens here with JMU Tennessee baseball and the rest of the rest of that series uh, could possibly have some uh, big things to talk about with the bat and ball sports when we get back here next week. We could, I mean, could have some big wins. Could have some big wins. Those, I think if JMU were to take one game today from Tennessee and, and baseball and then softball comes out and can win a couple at home, I think we could, we could be talking some different tunes next week. Yeah, well, anyway, for Noah Fleischman, I'm Shane Metlin, and you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast. Thanks for listening.